So in high school, uh, one of the awesome things I got to be a part of uh, was a short-term mission trip to Greece. And I know what you're thinking, man, if there is a country that needs people to show up and, and help them see beauty in life, it is, is Greece. So I was suffering for the Lord in Greece, eating souvlaki, looking at Greek isles, because I know what it's like to suffer for the gospel. Um, but there were certain things, there was, this was a beautiful mission trip where there were certain things that were planted in me, and there was a group of us, and there were certain things that happened um, in that, on that trip that continue to bear fruit and continue to grow into um, something that I'm still banking on. It's changing the way I think through things. But here's, here's what we did on this trip. What we would do is we would go to the city square, and we were the crazy Americans. And so all we were used for was just get a crowd, you know, get a crowd of people around. And then someone who actually spoke Greek and actually knew what they were doing, they will tell the gospel message. And so what we would do is we would, you know, put together these skits or we'd play these games or we would sing songs. We would do all kind of stuff. And uh, we would get a crowd. And then this guy would stand up and say, and he would, in an artistic form, he would share the story of Jesus Christ. And he would share them with all these people that were gathered around. And then our task was to go uh, ask everybody about it. So we were supposed to just walk up to random people. We didn't know. We were in a different country, so fear was way down. So I was like, I'm never going to see these people again. I'll risk it. Um, and so we would go up to them, and we'd ask them about the presentation. Hey, do you understand it? How to go? Do you have any questions? What do you think about it? And so on one particular afternoon, uh, I went up to this university student. And it was right after the presentation was over, and I said, Melate Anglica, which is the best version I have of do you speak English. I don't actually know if that's Greek for do you speak English, but that's what they told me. Uh, and so I asked him, Melate Anglica, and he was like, yeah. Um, and so then I continued on, and I said, so what did you think about the presentation? Did you understand everything? Do you have any questions about it? Um, what, you know, let me know what you're thinking. And so we, we talked for a minute, and... Um, pretty quickly, he, he looked at me and he said, you know what? I don't see how you can believe in a God that you don't see. I was not ready for that. And so I was like, good point. And then he left. And I've been frustrated by that for years. That encounter drives me crazy because all it took was one, like, all it took was just a little bit of effort to find the answer to some of these questions. All it took was a little bit of effort to figure out why people ask those questions or some of the answers to the questions that people hold on to. And I wasn't prepared. And so I was out there, and I was ready to do awesome things for the kingdom, and then I got stumped. And it drives me nuts, which is why I'm so glad we're doing this series called You Asked For It, because there are questions that we all have, right? There are questions that chances are you've been holding on to, and you're not going to move forward until these questions get answered. In fact, there are questions that people hold on to that hold them back from actually entering into a relationship with Jesus. And, and so we're going to answer, and we've been answering a number of these questions, but you need to know it's so important that we stay tuned in here, stay focused here, because some of these answers that we're going to talk through, some of these passages that we're going to look at today might actually give you what you need, the thing you've been 
thinking through, that question you've been holding on to, that concern you've been carrying, you know, some of these things, some of the passages we study might actually help you understand how to take that next step, how to, how to keep moving forward. Because just to be honest, me not knowing the answer to the question drove me nuts. And heads up, there is an answer to that question, by the way. How do you believe in a God you don't see? There are a lot of things we believe in that we don't see. That was easy. I didn't know that. I missed the boat. But here's the thing. Um, so, for instance, air. You, you believe you don't see air a lot of times, but it sustains you. You don't see gravity, but it holds you down. <laughs> you know, It keeps you grounded here. So there are a lot of things you don't see that, that definitely have an impact on your life. And so why would believing in a God that you don't see, how is that that hard to grasp? You know, it's not that big of a deal. So that's not actually one of our questions. So that doesn't count. Here's our first question. You guys ready for this? Yes, me too. Here we go. The first question is, how can I keep from committing the same sin over and over again? Just to show of hands, who wrote this one in? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> that would be a bad idea. Um, so because here's, here's kind of the frustration with this, right? We put our trust in Jesus because he forgives us of sins. He helps us see ourselves for who we really are in his through his perspective, in his eye. And so we, we see who we are in him, but for some reason, for some reason, the day after we wake up and we still have problems. Why do I still struggle with this thing that I thought would magically disappear? Why do I, same question, continue to commit the same sin over and over and over, even though I thought I would be past this? Good Christians don't struggle, do they? The answer to that is yes, we do. But here's, here's another side of this. You ready? We need to understand the danger and deceit of sin. Sometimes I feel like we take this a little too lightly. We don't take it very serious. Sometimes in our walk, we just go, you know, that's one of those things that, you know, the Lord's just going to have to forgive me on. That's one of those things that, that that's my thing, and the Lord can have all of these other things, but he's going to have to leave this one alone. And we don't take seriously the danger and the deceit of sin. Let me give you two passages. Here's the first, Colossians 3, 5, and 6. Look at this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. That is very direct and very hardcore. Put to death these things, these patterns, these habits of sin that represent the old self. You've got to put these things to death. That's how serious Paul is taking it. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's a big deal. This is the danger of our sin. It creates a gap between us and God, putting us, opposing God. We don't want to be in that place. The danger is if, the, if we don't put these things to death, we put ourselves in a very difficult position because we will have to give an account for the lives that we live. Here's the other side of this, the deceit of sin. James 1.13, look at this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. <laughs> for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. That would just be really mean, Okay. But each person is tempted when he is lured. By the way, each person, that is you. 
Each person, put your name in there. So each person, Harrison is tempted, so you put your name, not my name in there, all right? You are tempted when you are lured and enticed by your own what? <clears throat> Desires. By your own desire, there's something in you that is luring you and pulling you and enticing you to sin. Then when desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to or brings forth death. You see, when we give in to sin, it breaks the heart of God, not just because every sin is counted as a direct offense against him, which it is. Think about it. Every sin that is committed is a direct offense against our God, which is why our God is able to forgive every sin. It doesn't make sense to forgive sin that is not an offense against you, but every sin in our world is an offense against our God, and he can therefore forgive all sins. That's an amazing thing. But his heart is not broken because you have chosen to sin and therefore opposed him. He's broken because he knows that sin gives birth to death. Sin never brings life. Sin can't possibly lead you to light. It can't possibly bring you joy. It might bring you a moment of happiness at best. But James is using this picture of a woman who is pregnant and she's waiting, and there's something developing in her, and she's excited about this new birth coming, this new life that is coming, this new joy to our family. She's excited about all these things, only to give birth to stillborn child. That's what sin does. It deceives us. It lets us think that something great is coming. It makes us think that some kind of new life or new joy or new hope is coming, only to find death and emptiness and brokenness. It is dangerous and it deceives us easily. We need to understand these things because then we can start wanting to deal with them seriously. And Paul, he addressed this kind of mindset. So if you have a Bible, turn to Romans 6. Uh, this is a fantastic chapter, by the way. And so you should read the whole thing. We're not going to read the whole thing this morning. Uh, but in Romans 6, Paul is addressing this mindset of, of the church because he says in verse 2, look at this, how can we who died to sin still live in it? He's saying, how can we stay in this place? We've said we've been crucified with Christ. We've died. We've put that old self down. How can we still live in it as though our heart is his, but our head, our hands, everything else belongs to the world for some reason. And here's the mindset that was happening. The logic of the Roman church is kind of amazing. They would say things like, well, if sin equals grace, then doesn't more sin equal more grace? So the more I sin, the more grace I receive from God. That is college logic for understanding a relationship with Jesus that, well, of course, that's what that means. No, 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 no. He says, by no means. That's not how can you who died to sin still live in this thing? How can you still walk in this and want this? It's for those who have put their trust in Jesus, look at verse 6. It says, we know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Sin never brings life. It always brings bondage. 
It always enslaves you. And Jesus died on the cross so that you might experience freedom. Verse 11, look at this. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You need to understand that it is through Jesus that you're able to defeat sin and begin living in freedom. So we all got that, right? Jesus is the only hope of getting beyond sin, the only hope of dealing with the consequence of our sin. Without him, you can't move forward. You can't fix it. You can't be good enough. You can't solve these things, all right? So we got that. Now, how do we stop giving in to sin? I get that he dealt with sin, but tomorrow morning when I'm faced with these things, what do I do? He answers that question in verse 12. Look at this. Verse 6, 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members, members of your body, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you one, or since you are not under the law, but under grace. So here's the problem. You ready for this? The problem is that we continue to give the members of our bodies to the wrong thing. So yesterday, I was at this uh, birthday party, which is awesome, which is what we do now that we have kids. We go to birthday parties. That's what we do for fun. Um, and so um, Liam and Bodie, they were eating their cake. It was awesome. But my daughter, Callie Jo was camped out next to the cupcake table because she is addicted to sugar. She can walk in a door and smell candy. I'm not kidding. She, we found her in cabinets and stuff. Like, how did you get up there? Anyways, um, that's not part of the story. So she was at the cupcake table. The party's over here. She's at the cupcake table staring at it. She's just staring at the cupcake table. And I was like, Callie, do not eat a cupcake. Because when they say we can have a cupcake, then you can have a cupcake. She's like, I understand. I was like, no, Callie. I was looking at her like this. I was like, Callie, do not eat a cupcake. She's like, uh-huh. And the whole time she's like this. You know what I mean? Like she's, she's got her eyes on me, but for some reason her hand's like got a mind of its own. Like, where's the cupcake? And I was like, Callie, stop it. <laughs> Because for some reason she was giving the members of her body to something else. She was listening to me. I was, she knew what was right. She knew what was wrong. But it was as if something had the members of her body. She, something had her hand. And she couldn't help it. And it was just getting closer and closer to the cupcake. So finally we walked away from the cupcake table and said, we're going to stand here until they say, yes, you can get a cupcake. But here's the problem. We do the same thing, right? We give the members of our bodies to the wrong thing. So here's what we've got to do. We've got, we need a short-term plan to address our behavior. This sin that we keep struggling through, the sin that we keep committing and keep going, why is this a problem? Why do I keep struggling with this thing? We need a plan to address that behavior. And so here's what you do. Think about what is that thing you struggle with? Which member of the body are, do you keep giving over to the wrong thing? Then you need to establish guardrails and accountability around those behaviors. Guardrails and accountability. So some of you, 
you continue to give your hands to the wrong thing. You keep wanting to take something that's not yours. You keep wanting to grab something. You keep wanting to steal something. You keep wanting to get involved in something that is not yours. And the devil is going like, oh, man, it could be so good. It's going to be so fun. But I need your hands. And you're quick to go, oh, here, I got, I got two of them. You can have one of them. And, and so we give the members of our body to something. So if that's where you struggle, then you need to give yourself some guardrails and say, for some reason, whenever I find myself in this situation or with these people or in this place, I tend to give my hands over to the wrong thing. So you set guardrails. Guardrails, just so you don't, just for those who don't know, they're the things you crash into before the ultimate danger, right? They're the things you set up on the road so that you don't end up in the ditch. And so you set up guardrails. But for some of you, it's not your hands. Some of you, it's your mouth, right? The devil or the dark forces at work, you get around a group of friends and all of a sudden, have you caught yourself speaking differently? Like, oh man, there's this story. You have got to share this story, but I need your mouth. And so you give the devil your mouth, and all of a sudden you realize you're speaking different than you do here at church. You're sharing stories, you're sharing secrets that were supposed to be between intimate friends, and all of a sudden, for the sake of something else, you gave your mouth over to somebody, and you start sharing things. We give the members of our bodies to the wrong thing. Some of you, it's not your mouth, it's your eyes. The devil's like, oh, man, did you see that one thing? Oh, wait, you haven't seen it? Oh, man, let me hold your eyes. How, have you, how many of you have heard that voice, right? And you go, oh, man, I want to see it. And so you hand over your eyes, and you look at things that you're not supposed to look at. You fill your mind and your heart with things that you're not supposed to do, and it gives birth to sin, which gives birth to death. It never satisfies you. Have you noticed that? It never actually fixes anything. It never actually brings you life. All it does is it cripples you. So the reality is we have to address the behavior. And you do that by setting up guardrails. And you do that by having accountability. Somebody who goes, hey, how are your hands? I know you, man. Those hands are wicked. You know what I mean? You need somebody who's going to call you out. But here's the reality. We're not just talking about behavior modification. We're not just talking about if you start doing all these things right, then you're good. What we're talking about is you need a change of heart. So we need a long-term plan to change our hearts as well. We don't need to just change our behavior. We need a change of heart, and it affects everything else. So when you choose, this is where you choose daily to give yourself to other things. Now, listen, here's the question. How can I use the members of my body to love God and love others better. Because everything else, when you give your eyes over, it's at the expense of your love for God or the expense of your love for other people. So how do you use the members of your body now to love God better and love other people? And let me just say, instead of using your hands to take what you want, you choose to use them to give. You use your hands to serve other people. So instead of using your eyes to feed your lust, which in many ways dehumanizes people, do you get that? You see people less than they really are when you give your eyes over. You convince yourself of things that are not true, and it breaks the heart of God, and it forces you to see other people differently, and you are the one who sees them off. 
So instead of seeing, using your eyes to feed your own lust, now you choose to look to Jesus in all things through the scripture primarily. So instead of giving your eyes to pornography, you give your eyes to the word. Instead of filling yourself with darkness, you fill yourself with light. So you read scripture and you begin to look at other people the way that he does. Instead of using your mouth as a glutton and a gossip, ooh, that one hurts. But instead of giving your mouth over to those things, because you're focused on yourself, your focus is setting yourself up and tearing other people down, instead of giving the members your mouth over to that, now you use your mouth for prayer and fasting. Isn't it interesting that a lot of these spiritual disciplines the church has been maintaining for centuries actually helps us when it comes to dealing with giving our member, the members of our body to the wrong things. So instead of being a glutton and a gossip, we choose to give our mouths over to, being, to prayer and to fasting. And now you choose to use your words to build other people up through encouragement. Man, this place has to be a place of prayer, has to be a place of encouragement. This is what a family looks like. We don't tear each other down in this place, just so you know. Instead of using your mind to perpetuate a thinking that is inappropriate and incorrect about who you are, who God is, you keep thinking your own thoughts, and all of a sudden you see yourself way lower than you really should or a lot higher than you really should, you need to start thinking his thoughts. You need to start understanding his ways and let that determine your behavior. Let that determine your thinking. Let that take over. Listen, the whole point in this is not to stop sinning. You know, perfection is not possible, right? So here's the goal. The goal is to actively remove the things that continue to stand between you and God. Getting rid of the things that keep you from experiencing life with him. That's the goal of this. That's the purpose of this. We've got to start getting these things out of the way so we can experience him again. All right? Now, that's question one. Everybody take a deep breath. Some of you stopped breathing like 10 minutes ago. So make sure we need this. Oxygen's good for the brain. Here we go. Now, we're going to jump into question number two. Before we do that, turn to next, someone next to you and say, are you ready for this? Turn to someone, are you ready for this? What'd they say? Yes? All right, good. <clears throat> All right, question number two. Will God really send people to hell who haven't heard about Jesus? <laughs> we're going to end on a light one. <laughs> um, no, this, <laughs> this one's super complex. And, and we're essentially going to look at the tip of the iceberg on this thing. All right, and here's the deal. By the end of the day, you're probably going to have more questions than answers. And here's what I want you to do. Search it out. Do your own homework. Do the work and figure these things out. Seek the word. What are the answers to these questions? Because don't let these things keep you from taking your next step. But here, behind this question is always the same thing. Is, is that fair? Is that really fair for God to send somebody who's never heard about Jesus to send them to hell? Isn't that unfair? Well, what we'll see is, listen, we don't want God to be fair because none of us would be here. None of us would have a chance at this thing. 
We want God to be God because he is good and he is gracious and he is just and he deals with things in the right way. We want him to do what he does best. We don't want him to be fair because if he's fair, none of us are as good as our mama thinks we are, are we? None of us are that good. None of us can earn our way. None of us can fix ourselves. None of us can accomplish those things. Listen, your mom was your biggest fan, but she was not right. You were not that good. And neither was I, as much as my mom really did pour that into me. So anyways, had to get that off my chest. But here's the deal. We're going to look through a bunch of passages real quick. It's going to be like quick because my time is running. But what we're going to do is give you a framework. So I want you to hold all of these passages together. You have to hold them together. They're all in scripture. They're all dealing with this question. And you uh, hold these as a framework for answering this kind of question. So we're going to hold these things together. Here we go. Ready? And again, my goal is not to give you a concise answer on this. Would God do this? Yes or no? It's, it's more complex than that. Here's my goal. To give us a direction more than an answer. Meaning, what do we actually do with this? All right, you ready? Here we go. Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Here's what that means. God created us with an eternal desire for him. Every single person that you lock eyes with. Right now, look at somebody else in the room real fast. Look at somebody. All right, now look back up here. Every single person that you lock eyes with has something in them that thirsts and hungers for eternity. That means that they're walking around this world going, I am not satisfied by anything this world offers me. Because every one of us was created with a desire and a hunger for God. Every person has that in them. And if you search yourself, you realize that's true. Something in you will remain restless until you find God. Every single person in America, all over the world, they have the same thing within them. Here's the second thing. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning we all need to be saved from our sin because here's the problem. We were created to have a relationship with God, but then we chose sin, which drew us apart from God. Now we've got a problem. We've got two desires that are opposing one another, causing us to live in tension. What are we going to do? There's got to be help. There's got to be a way. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. That is good news. Because all of us are going, what do I do with this? I'm created for him, but I'm separated from him. How do I do this? And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He shows us the way to God, and it is himself. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, Jesus is the only way to be saved. Hold it. There is no other path. There is no other way to experience a reconciled relationship with God. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. The answer to our great dilemma. Romans 10, 13. For everyone then who calls on the name of the Lord 
they will be saved. That's even better news, that all we have to do is call on him. All we have to do is put our trust in him. All we have to do is come to a place where we say, I'm depending on you to lead me and forgive me. And then in Romans 1.18, listen to this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Listen, our sin blinds us. And that's not just us in this room. Every single person, when we give in to this, it keeps us from seeing clearly. And so he says, it, it suppresses the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Listen, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible um, attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Here's what that means for us. God is at work revealing himself through creation. He's finding ways to make himself known all over the world. You put the eternity that is in your heart, and you walk outside and see something that is amazing. You see someone, and you go, there's got to be something out there. There's got to be an order to this. There's got to be a cause to all of this. So you put those things together. But even more than that, here's what it says in Acts 17. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods. That means you are here this year, 2017. You are here now for a reason. If he wanted you born 100 years ago, you would have been born 100 years ago. But for some reason, he wanted you here now. Think about that. But more than just allotted periods, also the boundaries of their dwelling. So you are quite literally here, now, for a purpose. You weren't born in Africa. I mean, some of you might be, I don't know. But most of us find ourselves here now for a reason. And here's the reason. You ready for this? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. That means that he is put you in the place where you are because perhaps this is the best way for you to actually find him. And he's coming after you. Here's what this means. God is actively involved in pursuing and calling every one of us. So what do we do with this? As we're holding all these passages, what do we do? First, you need to trust that God is just. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did. Trust that God is just. I think this means that Jesus is at work every place and in every culture, making himself known and leading people to an opportunity to respond in faith. He wants people to have a relationship with him more than you do. He wants everyone in our world to enter into a relationship with him more than we do, more than those of us who have asked this question. And he is working to that end. Do you know how most people in a Muslim country are getting introduced to Jesus today? Dreams. Isn't that kind of bizarre? Now, that's a little bit beyond my thinking. He's mysterious. He finds people where they are and finds a way to get to them. So they'll send 
get dreams. And they'll say, hey, you need to go down this road and go that way and then go knock on that door. So the next day they wake up, they go down that road, down that alley, knock on that door and find the persecuted church. And they say, you know what? Someone in a dream told me to come here. And so Jesus will stop at nothing to find people. Do you get that? He will stop at nothing to see that they are given a chance to know him. But do you know the primary way in which Jesus is known in our world? You ready for this? The church, the church, this is his plan. You are his plan. You are the way he is wanting to introduce our entire world to him. You, in the way that you love each other, in the way that you serve one another, in the way that you serve our world, in the way that you go to unreached people groups and you serve unreached people groups and you talk about how Jesus saved you and you talk about how Jesus changed you, you are his plan for changing our world and introducing them to Jesus. Don't live under anything less. This is our calling, and we must live up to our calling. So imagine with me. Um, imagine you're in college and you got a roommate that came and joined. If you're not in college yet, you could picture it. If you've been in college, go back there, okay? So imagine you got a roommate, and as you spend some time with him, you realize certain things about him, like he, he tells you, he never knew his parents. And so he shares with you, I, I don't, something happened apparently when I was really young, never met my mom, never met my dad. And, and, and so you realize that there's, there's a lot of brokenness behind a facade, right? There's something deep and longing, even though in his face he's, you know, standing strong. You realize something is going on. And he's been holding questions for his life, you know what I mean? He's been holding on to things like, man, who was my dad? Like, what was he like? Where did he go? Why did he leave? Why hasn't he come back? Why hasn't he found me, right? All these questions. And so you're having coffee with your friend and you're hearing these questions and you're sitting there going, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then one day he shows you a note that he received when he was really young. The one piece of information that he actually did receive from his dad. And when you see it, you read the note and then you look at the bottom and the signature seems to be a very standard signature line, except you, you recognize it. Like you know the words that are written. You recognize the handwriting you recognize the name or the initials. So all of a sudden, you find yourself in a place where you know the man who wrote this note. And even more than that, you find yourself in a place not only who it is, but you know where he is and you know how to connect him to this son that he has lost. Let me ask you a question. If you were in that place, if you were in that moment, what would you do? What would you be feeling in that moment? If you had a friend who had never met his father and you actually could make the connection with them right now, what if you had a friend who knew, didn't know where he was from, where, what his purpose was, he kept thinking of himself differently, but you knew his father and you knew how to connect him and you knew you could change everything if you just stuck out, stepped out and made it happen, what would you do? 
Because listen to me, this is the job of the church. This is what we do. We have friends and family who don't know Jesus, and there's something in them that is longing for him, that is crying out for him, and all we need to do is step up and say, I know the name of the one you've been searching for. I know the name of the man you've been hoping to connect with, because I've connected with him, and I know him, and he's changed everything. Wouldn't you do that? Wouldn't you go if it meant that we need to go to the ends of the earth, to every unreached people group? We are the church that sends people. We are the church that goes to these places because they have the same questions that we have. Who is our father? Where did he go? What is he doing in this world? What is my purpose? What is he doing in me? You can answer those questions because his name is Jesus. What if you are the one? What if you are the one who when your friend is, is vulnerable enough to say, here's where I'm at. Here's what I need. Here's the questions I'm dealing with. What if you're the one who can give a name to their deepest desire? Jesus. Wouldn't you want to do that? That's what we do. That's what the church does. We're his plan for reaching this world. How many of you have been on an airplane before? Anybody? Okay, cool. Um, I think it's kind of bizarre that they start with the scariest information first, and then they get to the other things like peanuts. Um, but, so, I mean, you get on an airplane, the first thing is, hey, glad you joined us. If the cabin loses pressure, and we're all going down, here's what you do. It's like, oh, thanks. <laughs> you know, I actually heard a story of, you know, they heard the instruction of the cabin loses pressure, oxygen mask going to come from the ceiling. You need to put your oxygen mask on first before you help any um, young people beside you. I heard a story of a son and dad who were riding together, and the son said, Dad, airplanes are not for kids. You need to promise me right now you're going to put that mask on me first. I need you to be there for, you know, it's just one of those, like, I didn't, oh, yeah. But here's the reality. Why do they do that? Because if you don't put on the mask and breathe the oxygen, you're not going to help anybody else put on a mask to experience the oxygen. See, some of us in this room, we have questions that, we're, that are keeping us from going into the next place, keeping us from a relationship with Jesus. But let me just say this. It doesn't help to ask that kind of question if you don't put on the mask and breathe the oxygen first. You can't help anybody else experience life until you put on the oxygen mask and breathe deep of life that is only found in Jesus. Then you can go. Then you can share with other people, hey, put on this mask. Breathe deep that comes. The oxygen is going to bring life. It's going to help you see. It's going to help you get where you need to go. But you've got to take that step first. You can't expect to help somebody else if you don't first take that step. And that's the beauty of the church. We're the people who breathe deep this oxygen that brings life. And then Jesus says, go. And so we go. So I'm going to pray for us to have the courage to do what we need to do. How about that? Here we go. Father, thank you for your grace. 
thank you that you are good to us. And there are things, there are questions in our mind that we don't quite understand all the time. Um, There are things that we struggle with, things that we are trying to figure out. Uh, But we really do need you. And I pray for people right here, for those of us who have been walking with Jesus and, and we've surrendered our lives to him. I pray that you would give every one of us the courage to take the step we know we need to take. Every one of us would know clearly what to do next and have the courage to actually do it. And for those of us who are here who for the first time are getting to know who you are, I pray that we would choose to say yes to you today. That's my hope, Father.